it's much more interesting to talk to them about non-fungible tokens as opposed to creating your own money in the blockchain. Because non-fungible tokens, they understand. They, brands have assets, assets that are traded with fun, fungible tokens, with fiat, but they're, they're assets themselves. They're all NFTs. So any brand you name that's NFTable, you know, that's they have a product. An NFT is a product. It's just a product that is now verified by the blockchain, an immutable blockchain, depending what blockchain you're in. So it's very easy to, to convince them once you understand their lingo and their product and their audience. Hello and welcome to the People of Web3 podcast, where we talk to creators, builders, and thought leaders in the Web3 space. We explore and unpack ideas, values, and strategies that hopefully can help all of us navigate this Web3 movement with a bit more purpose and clarity. If this sounds interesting to you, then feel free to subscribe. But other than that, please enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the People of Web3 podcast. Um, thanks for joining uh, Blaine and I. And today we have a very special guest um, from Bali, Indonesia. Runth, how are you? Hi, GM, GM. How are you, Frank? How are you, Blaine? Good, good. GM, GM. GM. So um, let's start off with a little self-intro of who you are, your background in Web2, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so my name's Ruint. Nice to meet you guys. Uh, so in Web2, I'm a sound designer. I work for film. And people often ask what a sound designer is. We're the guys who create sounds that you think you know, but you really don't know. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Like no one's ever heard a dragon before. And if they have, they certainly haven't replicated the sound for like generations, you know, or a spaceship. So, cause technically there's no sound in space. So we're the guys who make those sounds so that when you think of a spaceship or a dragon, you know exactly what it sounds like. So that's my job. <laughs> yeah. And, that's um, yeah, yeah, thanks, man. And I've been doing it for a while, but um, my Web3 journey is a different story. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I kind of want to dive more into the sound design just to learn yeah, a bit for about it. it. I've got a couple of questions um, as well. I think I just saw a, a video um, on Instagram where they explained how they made the sound for the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Yeah. And it was a combination of like, four animals um, <laughs> and then they tweak the sound of course yeah, it was, yeah there was like the lion raw there was the um baby elephant like that and the screaming you know when when the t-rex like does the that's the yeah, yeah. elephant and then and then fine-tuned um yeah. that's pretty cool and then the breathing was the whale from the whale yeah uh, yeah very cool what was what do you say like the coolest uh sound that you've made? Um, so my favorite sounds to make are animation sounds. And the reason for it is because in animation you start from zero. When you when you see any sort of animation, the only thing they have to go with is the dialogue. So when the character speaks. But other than that, the the whole world is free for interpretation. So you have certain styles. I mean, sometimes you watch an animation and the car has to sound like a car. But other times, you know, uh, if the animation is more round and friendly, you can make it sound 
unique in a sense that you can make it sound like a toy, for example. So you add some squishy sounds to it and, and things like that. So the most interesting animations I've worked on are, are from um, graduates of Royal College of Art um, in the UK. And there's this one director, Inari, who has a such a distinctive style. I love her style. And it's a mix of quirky, squishy, and <laughs> uh, serious, I, I guess. You know, she she talks about very serious subjects in a very quirky and funny way. So it, it's very easy to accept. And so I guess those, I, I know it's not a direct answer, but, you know, her her work is, uh, I've created some interesting sound for her works. Yeah. yeah. Squishy, so Googler, squishy and serious. I, I love that yeah, kind of combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 When, when it comes to, um, I guess, Web3, so what what does that transition look like for you? So you're a sound designer. How did you first learn about Web3 and what were those kind of ingredients that you're like, oh, this is interesting. Let me suss it out. Yeah. So one of the things of uh, being a sound designer um, or working in film, you need to have a, to a degree, you need to have a technical aspect. And I've, I've always been sort of techie and nerdy you know I, I was this close to pursuing like a computer degree computer science degree but i just love the art art part of it i couldn't ignore it so um that's why i got into my field and because i was interested in in uh new technical innovations i think it was 2015 i first heard about bitcoin and i said oh, what what is this you know and everyone was telling me it's a scam blah 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 but when you look at the technology, you start imagining how it can be useful. And so in 2015, I, I got my first Bitcoin. And then in 2017, I, I kind of forgot about it, you know. And then in 2017, I got my first NFT. And what got me there was because I had subscribed to a newsletter or something. And then I saw CryptoKitties. So ooh, what's this game built on top of this technology? And so I saw it and it, it was a new coin. It was Ethereum for me, you know, a new blockchain. And so I got into that. And in 2017, I opened my opens, uh, opens, I saw OpenSea, I believe. And then, I, or maybe it was 2018, something, the start of 2018. And OpenSea was very different back then. No one had heard about it. I was like, what is this fake Pirate Bay site mm -hmm. display <laughs> displaying uh, NFTs? And uh, so I, I got into the whole crypto kitty phase. I saw the Ethereum blockchain freeze, which I didn't think was possible literally freeze transaction because it was so backed up in uh you know transactions and then in 2020 and 2021 it sort of took off again so i i already had my foot in the door i had wallets i had uh crypto assets and then i saw it skyrocket i was like ooh i got to continue this path um and so in 2021 i have a, an uncle who works in the fine arts industry here in indonesia and not just in Indonesia, but worldwide, um, but especially in Indonesia, he's an art fair director. And he said, hey, do you want to display NFTs in three galleries offline in real life galleries? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? And so that's how uh, I started um, with a few others, the first NFT community in Indonesia from uh, from that event in, in May, 2021. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, so art drew you in, and you got in early. So you're a you're a pretty early adopter, um, both from the NF, NFT side and also the, I guess Bitcoin, the, the OG, and also the the first couple of 
cycles, like the last two cycles you've been through those. What did you learn out of those cycles? Because I've had a few friends who kind of, I, I, I've been in since, since 2017 and, and some of my friends have, you know, some of them got in 2017, some of them came in, in the other one. But it's always, uh, I kind of try and preface their involvement with, you know, this shit is volatile, uh, you know, kind of check your uh, expectations because things can just change on a dime. What, as someone who's kind of had a bit of experience in that, what have you, how has your perception of crypto changed from from that experience and the ups and the downs? Um, yeah, just from your perspective, because from my perspective, I, I'm kind of like a bit numb to all of that stuff now because it's just, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. numb's probably the word that I describe my feelings towards it. How do you kind of take yeah. it? That that's a good that's a good word actually. Um, because, you know, when people say we're in a bear, you're sort of like, yeah, so what? We've, you know, we've been in a bear this whole time. So, um, but I guess for someone who's just coming in, let me just say that back in 2015 or 2017, you weren't sure of where the blockchain or crypto in general was headed. You know, you weren't mm -hmm. sure. You had ideas, but no one was built. There weren't enough people building for you to be sure of it. Now, it's it's for me, it's a for sure thing. The technology is there. We can see the, not just the potential, but we've already seen use cases. Um, major brands are adopting it. So it's not an if, it's a when sort of question. And, you know, and I, I say this with caution because I realize some people watching this are going to think, should I get into crypto? Should I get into NFTs? Well, the opportunities are, are it's there, but it's much less than in 2017 and 2015, I guess. The reason I say that is because, not because I, I think crypto won't explode. It's just that there are a lot more people here who have been in, in it much longer and they can differentiate um, what's going to work and what's going to not, you know, they, 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 they know where to play. And so you're going against, um, much more experienced players and a lot of them. And so it's still early. Don't get me wrong. It's still early. But if, if you come in with the mentality, I'm going to get in now to make a, a lot of bang, you know, a lot of bucks, then that's a really bad mentality to come in. But if you come in with the mentality, I need to learn about this technology because it's going to iterate with uh, future technologies. You know, it's, it's going to integrate with future tech. Then yes, that's, 100% the right mentality, a builder's mentality, I would say. Yeah. Builder's mentality. I agree. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know you you joined in 2015. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ling, Ling got in 2017, which is already very early. Um, and he stick with it, which is the, the main thing, because quite a few people got in in 2017, but they just kind of went quiet and left once the, the drop came. Mm -hmm me included i just got some crypto and then just left it and then came back it near the end of 2021 is when blaine yeah. are telling me about nfts how we can potentially use it for conservation yeah. and, then, and then obviously after that um i got into the art side the pfp side for the community um and the culture and then eventually meeting you in um, Bali 
um, and then doing doing some cool events. So let's maybe dive a bit more into Metalupa before we move on. This is the community that you built um, when your um, uncle invited you to display some NFTs. Um, my question was when he, when you did the display, were they uh, NFTs you you guys collected as a community, or was it by some of the local artists in Indonesia? Um, can you share with us a bit more about how that in person um, exhibition went for your for the NFTs, and then maybe we can compare that to um, what's happening nowadays with IRL events? Yeah. Um, so back then my uncle wanted artists, he wanted creators from Indonesia. And so we displayed works from Indonesian NFT artists and there was no Indonesian community. The closest NFT community was based in Singapore called NFT Asia. It's founded by Clara and a few other people. And I knew one person there called, uh, Zanavi who, I found her in a Twitter space and, oh no, maybe it was a clubhouse. No, Twitter space wasn't, a, yeah, it was a clubhouse. And she, you know, she was speaking and I realized she was Indonesian. And so I connected with her. I said, hey, do you have more Indonesian artists? And so I joined the NFT Asia server, Discord server, and she gathered seven Indonesian artists. <laughs> so that was all the Indonesian NFT artists back then. There were seven of us that we knew of. I'm not saying that there weren't more, but it was really hard to find. And so I, I contacted all seven. We made a group and said, hey, do you guys want to show your NFT work in a gallery, in these three galleries? And at first they were hesitant. They were like, is this for real? He's scamming us. You know, I, a few of them will mention names, but <laughs> the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, the most skeptic ones, they, they ended up having their work sold for, I think it was a thousand X for what they were selling um, in NFT. Not, I'm not saying that you can't do that in NFT, but when, when you're in a high-end gallery like that, the collectors that come, they have a certain price margin, you know, and you, you need to, the, your minimum needs to be a fixed, a certain amount. And so I was like, it's going to sell. You're, you're in this gallery, you know, you look at, they were displaying next to Jeff Koons, you know, it was like, it mm. was uh, 30, 30 steps away from Jeff Koons. I'm like, so you're, you're in the latest trend in NFT trend and you're next to Jeff Koons. Like, how could you not sell for at least this price? They're like, no, it's not going to, but it happened. So that's how at the end of the, the exhibition, we got together and that's how Metarupa was founded. We're like, we need to help more creators do this, you know, because back then it was really like, this is the next thing. This is the new revolution. You know, I think a lot of people got in over their heads. They got too excited. They started quitting their uh, day jobs and just went fully into NFT because it was such a bull. Um, but yeah, we we were looking to help people get into the NFT ecosystem, the Web3 ecosystem. And we were doing that several ways. We were educating them. We were uh, sending them funds to mint because they, you know, you had a minimum amount you had to buy at at uh, exchange and transferring was it was too much. So we were helping them getting those, giving them those funds. Um, sometimes recuperating, sometimes not when they sold their works. Um, but as as we developed, I realized that the most important thing for creators is to get exposure. I think that's what a artist dreams of the most to 
to have their work shown even more, yeah. I would argue, than getting sold to have their work out there and known to the world. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the very beginning. Argument. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. How, how, how things That's change from, from the beginning of this community. So you founded this community kind of to, to now, is there, are you still getting kind of a lot of interest now, even though we're in a bear and what's, have people dropped out because it's in a bear? Is it, um, has the NFT scene kind of matched maybe what they were expecting? Like what's that kind of general sentiment? Yeah, I've definitely had a lot of, um, even from creators I've collected because I, I collect NFT as well. They've they've stopped creating NFT and I, I don't see the reason for it. Um, the expectation back then was you get in, you share your work, the community supports you, you get sold and then you bring in the next person. It was sort of like a um, pay it forward effect. Now it's, you know, hang in there, keep keep going. But what's interesting, that's for the creators. What's interesting is that brands are big, big brands. So Metarupa sort of adopted that because at first we had galleries who were interested to understand. They were afraid that they were going to get cut out completely from the game. You know, like, okay, no, creators get, get uh, can monetize by themselves. They have their own platform. Mm. Uh, back then, I, I think foundation started with 15, went down to, I don't know, now it's like 5% or 2.5. I don't know anymore. Um, uh, taking fees from your sale. And for traditional galleries, that was a big problem because they were taking 50%. Um, but now brands, big, large brands are getting into it. So Metarupa started consulting with these brands and we've, we've had uh, household like name brands um, come consult with us. Uh, so Bintang started talking to us, which is a subsidiary of uh, Heineken, one of the largest, you know, beer companies in the world, most well-known. Um, Hari and Kompas, we did three of their projects, which is the largest news media agency in Indonesia. They were inspired by Southern China Morning's Post and what they were doing uh, with blockchain technology. Hmm. And people think, oh, how how is Web3 going to benefit a company like that? Well, it's immutable. It's uh, uncensorable, you know, it's it's censor proof. So when when you're a when you care about journalistic integrity, when you care That's about a... yeah, it's massive. That's a big thing. And you know, people used to cut newspaper uh, articles, clips, they used to call them. And now you can collect them as without taking up space, without it ever having eroded, and no one can take that from you. It's it's back in the day when you spotted a mistake in the newspaper and so you cut it out because that's a mistake, you know, or it was it was controversial, whatever. They couldn't take it back. It's the same thing with blockchain. So yeah, there there are uh, many brands who we've spoken to. Some were fit, some weren't fit, but they all had interest in in NFTs. They all had in, not in the crypto side of it in in terms of like traditional, you know, fungible tokens. They were interested in what how NFT could elevate or help their brand. Yeah, so we've we've adapted to that, and so we do consulting as well. Yeah. So you're you're talking about consulting. Um, where's the value from consulting when it comes to kind of Web three brands? Can you kind of speak to that? It it became easier for us to consult when large uh, entities like Adidas stepped into. Back then, the the hot keyword was metaverse, but you mm. know now it's it's Web three and it, whatever the the hot word is for the moment it's the same technology so 
um, when Adidas started to get into it, you know, a lot of brands noticed and then many other brands followed, uh, primarily their competitor, Nike, and all these other brands got in. So people started Googling these, these hot search, uh, these, these hot words, you know, uh, what's, what's hot right now, right now it's AI, but so I adjusted our metadata accordingly. That meant, uh, hashtags on Instagram. It meant SEO on our website. So they found us or it would be word of mouth. And when, when, as soon as you get a first contact email, it, it becomes very easy to convince them to at least get jump on a free call. So the first thing I would do is say, Hey, here's a 30 minute, you'll, we'll do our first session for free 30 minutes. And then I would ask them, what do you know about this world? If they don't know, I had a deck ready. It would take five to 10 minutes of their time. But by the end of that deck, they had more questions than, mm. than I gave answers because their, their mind started thinking, how would this benefit my brand? How can I take advantage of this uh, technological innovation? Because at the base of it, that's what it is. And that's what I tell them. This is a new innovation. This has never been done since the founding of the internet. Since the founding of uh, computers, you could not trust because of the Byzantine problem. You could not trust other computers. You just couldn't. That's a, it's a game mechanic, you know? So they were convinced and they said, how can we use this technology to help our brand. And that's where I started um, coming with ideas. And it's much more interesting to talk to them about non-fungible tokens as opposed to creating your own money in the blockchain. Because non-fungible tokens, they understand. They, brands have assets, assets that are traded with fun fungible tokens, with fiat, but their they're assets themselves, they're all NFTs. So any brand you name that's NFTable, you know, that's, they have a product an NFT is a product. It's just a product that is now verified by the blockchain, an immutable blockchain, depending mm. on the blockchain. So it's very easy to, to convince them once you understand their lingo and their product and their audience. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think there's a couple of interesting things there. So the one thing I found, you know, that you have that conversation and in your case, they kind of reached out to you. They, we had started off with a call and after a five minute, 10 minute pitch deck, you know, they, they're kind of like com convinced. I mean, they're like at least convinced to a point where they want to learn more about uh, web theory. I think that in itself uh, may be um, interesting because I, I feel like some people still think that there's this massive friction between web two and web three um, which I think there is in a, in a lot of cases, but for a lot of brands, I think all they need is to understand roughly what this world is, what the potential opportunities are. And then they're like, oh, I get it. And then the the thing with the brands and the NFTs versus fungible tokens, that's also kind of cool because the fungible tokens, there's a lot of, um, you know, Obviously, people make up this internet money for good reasons, but there's also a lot of yeah. kind of scams out there. Um, you know, that's just part of the nature of kind of decentralization. But the NFTs, they all have their merchandise. They have kind of these kind of tickets and, and these sorts of things. So it's that is all set up. This is just offers an alternative infrastructure for these things to exist. Um, and then plus opens up these new doors. Like if you think of an NFT as a key that can lock X, Y, and Z, um, that just opens up so many interesting use cases, which 
uh, is why they're probably are interested in consulting, <laughs> you know, yes, yes, what are these exactly. interesting use cases? Right. And they understand consulting. So when you give a consultant's price, it makes sense to them because it's the, it's the hottest tech. Not many people know about it. Not enough people know about it. Let me, they might know of it, but they don't know enough to be able to consult on it. You know, so people who have been in the space for a while, we, we see the trends, we, to a degree, understand how it's going to benefit their company. We need to find out more about their company, obviously, but it's just connecting the dots. And a lot of the times it's something simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. And I think that friction that you were talking about, Blaine, it comes from uh, Web3 people sometimes trying to be too exclusive or thinking that Web2 people are the enemy, but they're not the enemy. You know, large, large corporations, entities are not the enemy. We're trying to get them to our side. And even if they were the enemy, wouldn't you much rather them join you instead of go against you? Uh, you I remember a phase, there was, there was uh, a phase where when a large entity entered Web3 uh, or NFT, everyone was hating on it because they're like, you're just in it for the money. You're just in it because it's hype. You're just in it for the trend. Yeah, but you're in it too for the trend. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you know, it's like, yeah, let's, it's be, just let's be honest guys, here. Man. Let's be honest. Yeah, let's be honest. Space. I mean, we, exactly. Yeah. You, we want that Robin Hood story. We want that, you know, from rags to riches story. And so when a large entity comes, instead of seeing them as an enemy, think of how you can benefit from them. You can benefit from, uh, that relationship, you know, and it's a mutual, it's a mutual uh, benefit. So they get something out of it. You get something out of it. hundred percent. It can be mutual. It can be, I mean, I got, everyone gets into web three for their own personal reasons, but my kind of personal reason is I see this as like a technology that can literally change the world for the better. Um, and if you believe that, and I think a lot of people also believe that, even if it's from like a creative perspective, they believe Web3 can kind of revolutionize the way kind of maybe artists can make a living and, and these sorts of things. But if you believe that this all of this value, um, you kind of have this moral responsibility to share that with everyone and not just uh, keep it ex- exclusive to just a small bunch of people, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. You, need to, you need to share the love, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I agree. I was jumping on um a clubhouse sesh I think a few months back, and they were talking about this exact topic, sharing your knowledge in Web three, and the guy was you know a Web three maxi you could tell, and he was like, yeah, I I do everything I do for free. We share our knowledge for free. Power to the people. Great, and I said, yeah, I do that too when it's creators, but when it's a uh, it's a multi-million dollar it's entity Adidas. coming to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm take not, a I'm cat. Not, I'm not gonna do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it for free and you can say, you know, you, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm going to ask for some money. So <laughs> when it's a multi-million corporation or entity that's asking me for my advice. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know people were still using Clubhouse. Yeah, they- it's not as it's not as hot, but, you know, sometimes I jump on there, the rooms. So, yeah, yeah. Twitter space bit- is the thing that is. Yeah. I feel a bit sorry for Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much this really good idea was just stolen, but it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Classic. Okay, um, let's talk about 
how you are empowering artists. So you mentioned Metalupa, you're able to onboard artists in Indonesia, um, educate them about Web3, and even providing some exhibition opportunities. Are you still doing in real life events? Um, after the after the first exhibition, what else did you guys do? Yeah, great question. Um, so I realized that the first exhibition, after the first exhibition, there was so much interest in Web3 uh, and NFTs that people started talking to us. They asked us where to join. And back then it was all Discord, you know, so join on our Discord. But people joined, they didn't know what to do. They were shy. Um, and we didn't adapt to that nicely. We were forcing them to join our Discord, you know. So people who had never used Discord before, I think we lost a bit of traction. And we didn't take advantage of Instagram and all that, but we kept doing events. So the most important thing that I saw for them was getting exposure. Um, but they had to they had to be educated first, onboarded to the Web3 ecosystem. So um, other than the events that uh, took place in May 2021 with Art Moments Jakarta, we did the, the immediate next event that we did was an NFT competition, which happened in, I want, I want to say October, November of 2021. And it was an online NFT competition. It was the first of its kind in Indonesia, maybe Southeast Asia. And the winners, the top 10 finalists would get displayed at the following exhibition, which was also at the end of November, 2021. And so again, we did uh, an exhibition, but this time you got in if you were the top 10 finalists. So we got a few hundred submissions, uh, which was very good at the time. And we displayed the top 10 finalists. And from the top 10 finalists, I think six of them were featured because when you have an art fair event and then you, the, the art fair events usually get media partners, they have like 30, 50 media outlets. They blast about the event. And of course, NFT was a hot thing. So they mentioned that you get exposure. And out of the six of the 10 finalists, they ended up on the front page of either OpenSea or Rarible or Object.com on Tezos or, or a, a, another Tezos uh, platform back then. So they ended up on the front page of these platforms. So not only did they get recognition in, in the traditional art world, but they got recognition in the largest marketplaces in Web3. And we we mm. had no idea of the people who were looking at these at these media posts that were, you know, when when you saw an NFT artist from Indonesia back then in the space, it was it was like a sore thumb thick sticking out in a good way. It was something mm. different because so much of the art was westernized or from that side of the world, you know, it, it, it had to do with, it was like pop culture and, and modern and all these, it had a certain style to it. And then as soon as you saw an Indonesian creator, because of course they were brought up in a different environment, their influences are different. You saw a distinctive art style and it was always a good thing. I've never heard uh, someone in, in the NFT space saying that Indonesian NFT art is bad. I've always heard positive association to Indonesian NFT creators you know, uh, of course, I'm a bit biased here, but yeah, I've, I've always heard a uh, positive association to it. So not projects, just creators. Um, so yeah, they they got featured, and the the queen of NFTs, I guess, here in Indonesia is our co-founder Dila Maharani. I think she got featured three times on the front page of OpenSea, 
And from 26 or 32 artworks, she traded over 300 ETH on OpenSea. And these weren't custom contracts. These were like on OpenSea itself. You know? So it was crazy. It was crazy. It exploded. And then uh, Gozali, the latest last trend, you know, from Indonesia, who took a selfie every day for five years. It was a school project. Uh, and then he uploaded that on Polygon. And then it, it went crazy, a few hundred E overnight. Oh, that's so. the one that went viral, was it? Yes, that's the one that went viral. And so that he's also Indonesian, you know? So we we started this, uh, we, you know, we, we started this uh, empowerment saying, you can do it too. And a lot of, I can mention a few Indonesian artists just from their artworks. I'm not talking about NFT projects, but they're, I know I know an Indonesian artist who has 600 ETH volume on super rare alone. You know that, and no one knows who he is. It's, it's how much volume? The wonderful world, six hundred ETH, just Oof. from his works, and it, his cheapest life changing. Eh? That's at, crazy. Yeah, it, his cheapest work will come out at two ETH, and it'll sell out in in you know hours or or a few days, even in a bear market. So, you know, it, it's life changing, especially when ETH was at four K, four point five K. So he, no, I don't know who he is. I just know his his pseudonym. You know, mm. it's, um, I, I know his handle, but I don't know who he is. I know a few <laughs> people who know who he is, but I'm going to ask. Even that is, uh, that whole idea around pseudonyms and being anonymous, you know, you can be anonymous while working in the space is such interesting idea. And it just made me think of um, what extra value or like what, yeah, I guess value, potential value of kind of taking on that persona of, um, you know, this is my online alias, but, you know, you don't really know who I am. Like if, if that's real, if your art is quite mysterious as well, like um, I could imagine a lot of people, like a lot of artists who want to share their work, but, you know, they're quite introverted. They, they would probably rather just not pe people not know who they are. Um, so right, even from yeah. that angle, it's kind of, um, kind of could be appealing for some some artists who you know really just love to create and uh would rather not people not know uh who they are but also would want to get a bit of money so that they can keep doing it yeah definitely it's and it's not just about you know uh hiding from the tax man but it's um no, no, no. yeah it's it's sending your message and when sometimes you have a message that maybe you work for a corporation and your message is completely against that you know, but mm, I don't know, everyone's situation is different, you know, or you come from a family and you, you want to vent, but you don't want anyone to know it's you, you know, as, as artists, we want to express things that oftentimes, um, we're afraid people will judge us by. And mm. so having a pseudonym is, is beneficial in that sense. Also for, for censorship reasons, for safety reasons, it's mm. it's beneficial to the artist. Of course, there are there are negative things people can do, you know. But mm. I, I try to 100%. focus on the positive. Yeah, yeah. Mental health as well. Mm. Some people yeah. don't want to get famous. Yeah, yeah. I agree. As an as an as a creator, if I can just create work and let the work speak for itself and not have to put your face in in the in front of anyone else, like that would be that would be yeah. That that's, that's something, and even. Even as a collector, you know, I collect work, but I don't have just one account. I have an account where everyone knows it's me, but I have another account. No one knows it's me. 
you know? So no one knows it's me. And if I told you it's me, you're like, whoa, that's you? Yeah, but no one knows it's me. <laughs> and I do that for obvious reasons so that people don't suck up to me in real life. So people don't go, hey, man, thanks for collecting this work that I did on. I just collect it because I like it and I don't have to explain to people why I mm. collect it. People are different when they know uh, you collect certain types of work, you know, so there or, or you know, you know what I mean? There, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a crazy and space. And also for, for creators, you can have and same thing. You can have an account where everybody know it's you, you're the creator. And you have another account to create a different style, different type of work that yeah, nobody definitely. Does. Yeah. Mm. That's very cool. And in Web2, there are artists who are trying to stay anonymous. But if they work with galleries, like, of course, <laughs> some people know who they are. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing on the chain and it's just you and the collectors and the artwork on the chain, then you can really, really stay anonymous. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, a web tier, you could you could still do it. It'll just be a bit hard. I mean, you have like in the music world, harder. you have gor- gorillas. That kind of, I mean, the people probably still know who they are. Banksy, uh, and then, I guess it's sort of yeah, Banksy. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's still possible, but I guess it opens probably makes it a little bit easier for those that are into that or that way inclined. Um, I'm going to an event this this week. Apparently they're showcasing Banks, Banksy original prints or something. Oh, nice, nice. Watch what start filming it from when you get there because it might shred, or you know, this be destroyed somehow. <laughs> yeah, because he, yeah, because there's some because was it Banksy who like maybe a couple of years ago? I'm pretty sure it was Banksy. He had some sort of like one-off piece or something and he burnt the physical piece and there was a digital version of it or something there was there's something that he did where or he or she i'm not sure uh you know who banksy is yeah but the they they burnt a physical version um and there was a digital replica and there was some kind of interplay between what happens uh, to the physical pieces and how that translates to you know, an NFT version and how that translates in terms of value. So there's there's so many like creative things that you can do uh, from an artist perspective um, when you when you have like two different mediums to play in. Um, well, yeah. like two different infrastructure mediums to play in. Um, yeah, yeah. Super interesting. That's funny enough. That's one of the questions we get asked the most. How as a if I'm a traditional artist, mm-hmm. like if I'm a painter or a sculptor, how does NF- NFT benefit me and you know i it, it was a thing back then where people would get rid of the physical or either send the physical to the nft holder the first nft holder let's say um and they were asking how how could this benefit me so it really depends on what you define mm-hmm. as your final version your final iteration of the art because there's a few ways to go about it i hope you don't mind we we talk about this a bit um one one obvious way is you could use it as a certification so if they get it they get the physical piece another iteration is uh like you mentioned blaine they could burn the physical and then the digital would be the final work but there are artists who perhaps uh other than burning the original the physical they would alter the digital in some way they they it's not finished until they alter it digitally so there's an indonesian creator called afrodita wibo 
and she does she does knitting and she does like paper cutting and she makes these wonderful wonderful uh pieces where her husband then photographed it and after it's digitized they either animate it or they add they add something to it to make it bring it to its final version you know and she she was one of the top 10 finalists in the second nft competition we had it's an annual thing now um and after that she got displayed she got displayed in the last exhibition which was art moments bali was at intercontinental bali here in jimbaran and her work was exhibited there because she was noticed from you know previous uh, exhibitions and people people see you and then you start getting all these other opportunities that people wouldn't discover you otherwise you know so i'm she's doing well now she she's exhibiting work she did her first uh, exhibition here in bali so i know there's more to come for her so yeah mm. interesting how traditional artists can take take make use of uh blockchain technology to further their career yeah yeah, yeah i agree with the traditional artists they might hesitate um or question why and how they they move their art to the blockchain to digital but i think it's just another way for artists and creatives to be to use the creative um, side of their brain and coming up with solutions with new ideas um, because you know you always you always have to continue to innovate um, yes you did your traditional art in that way but it doesn't mean um, you can't change your art as well it should be a journey you should keep keep learning new things and trying to incorporate it I mean once you learn it you can decide not to but um for the traditional artists who might be listening, I would say spend some time, learn about it first before making the decision for yourself. And we're not here saying, you know, you have to or you'll get eliminated um, or left behind. But um, we, we see an opportunity, we see the potential and we believe this is the direction um, in the foreseeable future. And who knows what comes after Web3, maybe Web4, Web5. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely try to stay open and then and then uh, learn about it before we decide. Yes, please. Yeah. I think just to add on to that, maybe the flip perspective. Um, I also don't think that um, blockchain, if you think of it as a medium that opens up unique opportunities, I also don't think that it necessarily is for all artists as well. Um, I think one challenge that we may face is kind of forcing um, this evolution of what their art means to them. And I think a lot of the things, a lot of the use cases that we're talking about is that maybe kind of provides alternative revenue streams. Um, you know, there's different creative avenues that you can explore. Um, one thing that... Uh, which is probably controversial in some kind of artist circles is kind of the idea around utility in art. Cause when I was in architecture school, uh, one kind of big separation between art and design was the fact that kind of art, art has no value. Art has no utility. It's kind of art is, you know, people have their own definition of, of uh, what it means for me. It's kind of just decompressing or no compressing ideas into a way that people can kind of interact with it and kind of spark some sort of a response. 
but design is the one where you start, you know, solving a problem. So yeah, if yeah, so I think for some people it, it maybe they don't need blockchain and that's totally cool. Um, but I would suss it out and and like Frank said, just have a look at it and and see for yourself if it works with you, works with your style, works with your your beliefs. Um, if it doesn't, then that then that's kind of cool. Um, uh, I think that yeah, that the idea around forcing it could be um, uh, maybe counter to the artist philosophy um, for some people. Maybe just trying to take yeah. the other side as well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I agree with you. Um, we jumped we jumped on a call once. Uh, it was a space with a prominent collector here in Indonesia, and he had been collecting digital art since 1980-something. And he was arguing that, uh, why does my why does the art that I collect have to be digital? You know, and I, I like debating. I like seeing the other side. And so everyone in that space was probably on jumping on the NFT train and were like, oh, it's digital scarcity and... and- <laughs> They're all good points, but you know, him as a collector, he doesn't care that someone copied his files. He knows that he got it, you know, even though it's in a USB stick, he keeps it in a hard drive somewhere. Um, He just, he, he sees it that I I got this for this price from this creator and it's mine. And I don't care if it's not written on the blockchain. I think it would be beneficial to him if it was written on the blockchain, but he just doesn't seem to care. And I said, that's completely fair. That's completely fair. And <laughs> to each their own, you know, it's fine. And if you want to collect that way, that's completely fair. So yeah. yeah, that was a really interesting, a lot of people got offended by that, but I don't think we should be. I think we should mm. try to understand what it is that is preventing them from at least understanding more about, you know, what is it? Is it, are we being too exclusive? Are we hyping it too much that when they get <laughs> finally get into it they get disappointed you know are we hyping it too much that way are we too focused on the money and transactional aspects of it so yeah it's Good questions i i yeah i i think in the future um large entities are going to use it by default and we're going to be in the blockchain whether we know it or not i think when you upload something there's going to be a record of it an uncorruptible record of it. And I think that's something that people are going to care about more, especially since people are starting to care about privacy and you have all these privacy laws, concerns, lawsuits going against large entities. I think blockchain solves that in a in a simple way. Not easy, but simple way. Yeah. I like it. We're we're kind of nearing the end. Did we did you have a few questions, Frank? Um, no, I'm just gonna say the tech seems so so powerful. There's going to be a lot of pros and cons, and we're not here saying it's the solution or it's perfect by any means, but it opens up potentials um, that previous to uh, Web three there weren't. So I think it's up to the people, um, the builders, as we mentioned in the beginning, how these builders who are in the space early, how they're going to build, what they're going to build and what kind of culture they'll create. So, which is why we want to try to bring in more people with a good mindset to come in um, and shape the space for the better, focusing on utilizing the tech for positive impact, um, creating a healthier culture, 
Um, so thank you, Grunt, for joining us and sharing. You're very welcome. Thanks for uh, the invite, Blaine, Frank. <laughs>